You're listening to. You're listening to. You're listening to. You're listening to. The Life Tree Community Church Podcast. Uh, welcome, everybody. Grateful uh, to have you here today. How's everybody doing? Yeah. Yeah. You good? You good? Yeah. Come on. All right. Better than the Giants? Better than the Giants? All right. Yes. Yeah, better than the Giants. Yeah. Terrible. Despicable. Disgraceful. All you Jets fans, don't say anything. I want to hear it. I want to hear it. Mm. Terrible. All right. Anyway, let's talk about David. Let's talk about David. Yeah, something better. Another loser. Let's talk about David. Um, so I invite you to turn to Second Samuel chapter 13. And we've been doing a series on David's life, talking about uh, King David, again, one of the most well-known figures in history. Um, you know, everybody knows the story of David and Goliath, or you know that reference, right? There's so many things culturally that we talk about uh, that David has influenced uh, within our culture. So he's just one of the most popular, well-known historical characters, and there's something interesting, again, that we've been exploring that God said about David. He called David a man after my own heart, which is really interesting. Like if, you know, there are some people like any, how many of you like cannolis? Like you love cannolis, all right? So you're people after my own heart, right? So I can say that with confidence, okay? But God said, David is a man after my own heart, after his own heart. And that's interesting. When, when you say that about somebody else, you're going out on a limb, you're putting yourself out there, you're actually making quite a statement. And God's saying this about David, that he's somebody who has the heart of God. That's a big, a big thing to, like you're setting the bar pretty high, right? Because then people are going to kind of judge God based on that person. And so we're gonna, we've been looking at what David's life means and who he is. He was a brother. He was a friend. He was a shepherd. Right? He was all these things. He was a musician, a soldier, an outlaw, a king, a husband. He was a father. If you didn't know this, he was a father. We had, he had lots of children. We don't really have like a, a, a record. There's not like a, a list of all of David's kids. There's not like this comprehensive list of all of who is why. You know, he had, he had multiple wives and things like that. Like we're, I'm not. That's a different message for a different day. We're not going into that. Um, we don't have a complete list. But one son that you may have heard of, I don't know. This is sort of like it depends on your Bible knowledge. But his name is Absalom. How many of you have heard of Absalom before? That name's familiar. Okay, so about half the room, maybe a little more. He's the third son of David, as we know this, third in, in, in order, all right? and he's got a sister named Tamar. All right? And uh, this is as much a story about Absalom today as it is about David. And uh, he's got a sister named Tamar, so he and Tamar have the same, same father and mother, right? they're full, full brother, sister. And they've got a half-brother named Amnon. Amnon is actually the oldest son of David. So this is the third, right? Third, Absalom's third. Amnon's the oldest, and he, he's, got a, he's got a different mom, so they, they're half-brothers. Right, so he's a half-brother to Absalom and Tamar. And Amnon is, oh man, he's the oldest. Anybody, you know, if you're a first child, you understand, you know. He's the first child here. But he was also a first child who was kind of treated like an only child. He was never corrected. He was never reprimanded. Amnon did whatever the heck Amnon wanted to do. And uh, that just sort of breeds, you know, this kind of person, right? And Amnon thought that Tamar, his half-sister, was, she was beautiful. And he said he was captivated by her and he became obsessed with her. And it's actually, it's, it's terrible. Uh, it eventually, he developed a plan and he rapes her. And in that culture, right, this is now just condemning her to a lifetime of shame. And she's like, her life is over. Like, that's it. He, he, is, he has condemned her to a lifetime on the, on the edges. We pick up the story in 2 Samuel chapter 13, verse 20. We're just going to, we're going to, there's a lot of story to get to, so we're going to pick it up here. It says, her brother Absalom saw her and asked, is it true? Is this true that, that Amnon has been with you? And, and she replies, yeah, and he says, well, my sister, 
Keep quiet for now since he's your brother, but don't you worry about it. So Tamar lived as a desolate woman in her brother Absalom's house. Isn't this a great start to the message? How many of you are like, oh, it's going to be a good one. I can't wait to hear this. Yeah, this is going to be so relevant. It's going to be awesome. Like a good brother, Absalom takes care of his sister. Okay, he says, listen, I'm a, I got you. I got you, fam. Right? I'm going to take care of you. You come live with me. I will take care of you. And all of this is happening, remember, in the house of David. Right? This is happening in the house of the king. Okay? Isn't it interesting? These are princes. Privilege and abundance isn't enough. This is, a, this is the oldest son of David. What doesn't he have? Right? Like the oldest son of David. He's, he's living in the palace. His dad is King David. He's probably got everything. And guess what? It's not enough. Right? Privilege and abundance aren't enough to keep princes from craving more. But then again, it wasn't enough for their father either. If you remember from last week. Because David is king and he's got everything. And what does David do? He says, listen, I want more. Right? We learned about it last week and he went with Bathsheba. Right? And he took a woman that was not his and he murdered her husband. And he's, So, is the son all that different from the father? Interesting. We teach what we know, but we reproduce who we are. Every parent knows this, right? You teach what you know, you, you, you say what you know, but people will follow what you are and what you do, right? So, seconds, we keep reading. Verse 21 says, When King David heard what happened, he was very angry. And though Absalom never spoke to Amnon about this, he hated Amnon deeply because of what he had done to his sister. So, brother against half-brother, he is furious. And guess what? He's, he's just, I'm not even talking to him anymore. right? And David, it says, is angry here. It says David is angry. And you know what else it says David did? David did nothing. David, David knew he's angry and he does nothing. He knew what had taken place. And he doesn't respond. He knows what his son has done to his daughter and he does nothing. Now, we could debate why David doesn't do anything all day long. Maybe David felt powerless because he said, you know what? I have my own shame and regret. I, have, I know what I did. I'm, maybe I disqualified myself from, from correcting my son because who am I to tell him? I've failed. Maybe David doesn't even know how. He doesn't have the skills. I don't know how to confront my son. I don't know what to say. Yeah, I don't know. Like, it's evident it's all wrong, so I don't know what to do here. Perhaps David felt responsible. Right? I never corrected him. I never parented him, so maybe it's my fault all along. But either way, whatever it is, David did nothing. Edmund Burke, philosopher, said the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. The only thing necessary is for good men to do nothing. David's a good man. Yeah, we've been learning about it. And guess what he does? Nothing. Guess what triumphs? Evil, anger is an indicator that wrong has been done. David is angry. This is wrong. It's not okay. Injustice has occurred. Good has been violated. He's angry, yet he failed to allow that anger to provoke him enough to respond, to rectify the situation, to assert his power as either father or king. David's got two opportunities here to make a difference. He could just assert, hey, listen, as your father. Or he could come along and just be like, hey, I'm also king. Right? On two fronts, David failed. And here's first point I want to make. When those who should, don't. Those who shouldn't, have to. Think about that. When those who should, don't. Those who shouldn't, 
have to. Ow. So Absalom, a son, a brother, takes matters in his own hands. And for two years he plots, plans a party, gets his brother drunk, and he has him murdered. He kills his brother, avenging his sister's shame and the wrong done to him. Absalom does something. He takes... He takes now let me ask you, whose fault is this mess? Right? Who's, whose fault? Was Absalom in the wrong for murdering his brother? Clearly. Okay. Was Amnon in the wrong for violating his sister? Clearly. Was David in the wrong for doing nothing? Okay, so whose fault is this? <laughs> you un- when those who should don't. Those who shouldn't have to. And it gets really messy. Really fast. And it only gets messier here in the story, unfortunately. Don't worry, I'm going to turn this around by the end, but it's, it's the story. It's the story. And the truth is, it's in the Scriptures for a reason. God puts the stories like this in there because He's not just telling us the pretty picture of what life looks like. and It's all good and perfect because there's brokenness all around us. There's brokenness in us and we need to learn from these things. So we've got to face up to what's actually happening here. It says, verse 37, skip down, it says, And David mourned many days for his son Amnon. I'm sorry, who is he mourning for? He's mourning for... This is the first action we see David taking. He's doing nothing, doing nothing, and now he's publicly mourning for the son that raped his daughter and is murdered by his brother because David did nothing. Mourning for what should have been. When your first action is regret, if the very first thing you do is just regret, you can be confident you have stepped over several opportunities to change the outcome along the way. If the first thing you're doing is regretting, you had chances that you have passed over. This day never had to come. It's hard not to be angry at David, right? Come on, David. Get with the program, man. Be the dad that your kids need you to be. You're smarter than this. You're better than this. Get in the game. It's like, you ever watch, you know, I think it's The Incredibles? We're having dinner and like things are in. She's like, Bob, engage, engage, get in the game here. You know, don't just be the dad who's like, yeah, I'm on my phone or something. You know, engage, get in the game. Come on, David. Your family has fallen apart around you. You should see this. Get in the game. The one who's so masterful on the battlefield is woefully absent in his home. Absalom flees, says to his grandfather, Talmai. I think it's the next verse. Here we go. It says, an Absalom fled to his grandfather, Talmai, son of yep, Amahud, the king of Geshur. He stayed there in Geshur for three years. And King David, now reconciled to Amnon's death, longed to be reunited with his son Absalom. For three years, David fails to reach out to his son. For three years, it says David wanted to. He wanted to be a good dad. He wanted his children to do what was right. He wanted his kids to know that he loved them. Yet he didn't do anything. You know what's interesting? You know what you can do when you're king? You can do whatever you want. David is king. The only one stopping David from reaching out to Absalom is David. He's failing here. If you're looking for some life lessons, let's learn from what David doesn't do. Can we learn from what he doesn't do? He has the power to intervene, to wade into the mess of his family and to bring healing. 
And he chooses to avoid dealing with brokenness. And when you avoid things, you just prolong them. Sometimes you add to them and you help them grow. Doing nothing doesn't simply delay the healing. It can complicate the healing and make it worse. When you break a bone, if you've ever broken a bone and it needs to be reset, they do it instantly. If you don't reset that bone, it can reform in a deformed way, so much so that later on there needs to become more invasive and intensive procedures to reset, to repair, right? If you don't deal with something, it doesn't just wait for you, it gets worse. Right? We know these. We know this stuff. It's intuitive. But for whatever reason, David simply doesn't have the fortitude to engage. And for three years, he just avoids. Some of you know this. You've been avoiding things for years. You understand, you've just been avoiding. Fortunately, Joab is the leader of David's army and he has the fortitude and he convinces David to reunite with his son. We'll pick that up in in chapter 14, verse 23. It says, Then Joab went to Geshur and brought Absalom back to Jerusalem. You ready for this? It gets better. But the king gave this order. Absalom may go to his own house, but he must never come into my presence. So Absalom did not see the king. Could David be any dumber? Three years. He's been avoiding, avoiding, avoiding. He's done nothing, done nothing. Persistent in action. Now, yeah, you can come back, but I still don't want to deal. I don't want to deal with it. This is the story of neglect, of abdicating responsibility. David continues to fail his son. A son who longed for his dad to be the father. As good a dad as he was a king. Could you please get involved, Dad? I don't want to have to take matters in my own hands. I would much rather you deal with this. You're more qualified. You're in position to do this. Absalom has probably got a heart for David to step up. The seeds of failure David is planting here, they're going to bear fruit. They're going to bear fruit. What you are privately will always and inevitably affect who you are publicly. You can't hide that forever. And David is avoiding it privately. Maybe the, maybe the kingdom doesn't even know. Maybe it's a hush-hush secret. Because right? Absalom told Tamar, keep it quiet. Maybe nobody knows. So maybe the only thing everybody knows is that Absalom killed Amnon. So maybe everybody is judging Absalom because nobody knows why he did what he did. And David is not defending his son. He's not standing up. He's just not even talking to him too. So everybody is thinking that Absalom is just a punk. He's a troublemaker, having no idea that he's the one trying to stand up and defend his sister. David does nothing. Who you are privately will eventually affect who you are publicly. His failures as a father will come back to bite him as a king. Let's skip down to verse 25 of 2 Samuel chapter 14. It says, Now Absalom was praised as the most handsome man in all Israel. He was flawless from head to foot. Some of you can identify with that. Just flawless. He cut his hair only once a year and only then because it was so heavy. When he weighed it out, it came to five pounds. It's a lot of hair. That's a lot of hair. He had three sons and one daughter. His daughter's name was Tamar and she was very beautiful, obviously named for his sister. Absalom lived in Jerusalem for two years, but he never got to see the king. So if you're doing the math, that's now five years since he's even seen his father. 
Five years since he took matters into his own hands because his dad didn't do it. Five years of being alone in his suffering. And Absalom sent for Joab to ask him to intercede for him. But Joab refused to come. He said, listen, I got you here. You gotta do, I'm not, I can't change your father's mind. Then Absalom sent for him a second time. But again, Joab refused to come. So Absalom said to his servants, go and set fire to Joab's barley field. I love this conflict resolution. The field next to mine. So they set his field on fire, as Absalom had commanded. That's a great way. Listen, don't go burn somebody's field down if they're not calling you back. All right? If they're just like, ghosting you or whatever, don't, don't, don't go burn their field down. Then Joab came to Absalom's house and demanded, uh, why did your servants set my field on fire? Um, and Absalom said, I wanted you to ask the king why he brought me back if he didn't intend to see me. I might as well have stayed there. Let me see the king, and if he finds me guilty of anything, let him kill me. Can you hear Absalom saying, listen, this is not worth living in this pain. We either need to fix this or kill me now. So Joab told the king what Absalom had said. Then, two words, at last, David summoned Absalom, who came and bowed low before the king, and the king kissed him. At last. You know what? It was years too late. It was far too late. Damage has been done. Absalom at this point has lost all respect for his father. Deservedly. David hasn't earned anything. He had to burn down a field just to get, a, just to get an audience with his dad. David just did not have the ability to deal with the brokenness in front of him. So let's skip down to chapter 15, verse 1. It says, After this, Absalom bought a chariot and horses, and he hired 50 bodyguards to run ahead of him. So that's pretty cool. Like, hey, I got, got my posse, my squad, they're running, right? And he got up early every morning and went out to the gate of the city. And when people brought a case to the king for judgment, Absalom would ask where in Israel they were from, and they would tell him their tribe. And he would say, you've really got a strong case here. It's, it's too bad the king doesn't have anyone to hear it. I wish I were the judge. Then people, then everyone could bring their cases to me for judgment and I would give them justice. You know, if I were king, if I were king, when people tried to bow before him, he wouldn't let them. Instead, he would hold them by the hand and kiss them. Let me tell you, this guy was smooth. He had a plan. He knew what he was doing. He's like, oh, no, 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 don't bow. Don't bow. Really, later, later. Not now, not now. Right? And Absalom did this with everyone who came to the king for judgment. And so he stole the hearts of all the people of Israel. Hmm. After four years, Absalom said to the king, Let me go to Hebron to offer a sacrifice to the Lord and fulfill a vow I made to him. For while your servant was... Remember when I was in Geshur for all those years and you wouldn't talk to me? I promised a sacrifice to the Lord if he would ever bring me back. Oh, you're so noble, Absalom. All right, the king told him, Go and fulfill your vow. So Absalom went to Hebron, but while he was there... He sent secret messengers to all the tribes of Israel to stir up a rebellion against the king. As soon as you hear the ram's horn, his message read, you are to say Absalom has been crowned king in Hebron. He took 200 men from Jerusalem with him as his guests, but they knew nothing of his intentions. And while Absalom was offering the sacrifices, he sent for Ahithophel, one of David's counselors who lived in Gilo. Soon many others also joined Absalom in the conspiracy game momentum I want to pause. Does that name Ahithophel ring a bell? So it may not, but if you were here last week, 
Ahithophel had a son whose name was Eliam, who was one of the mighty men. And Eliam had a daughter whose name was Bathsheba. This is Bathsheba's grandfather. He was one of David's counselors. Do you think he had a reason to maybe get out on David and jump on Absalom's ship? He had a reason to abandon him? It's interesting how those things come back. Seeds David had planted are now bearing fruit. Evident the tide had turned. If David was going to remain king, he was going to have to fight for it. He was going to have to fight his son for it. If David wanted to say in that in that role. So as the king, verse 25, instructed Zadok to take the ark of God back into the city. And he makes this statement. He says, if the Lord sees fit, he will bring me back to see the ark in the tabernacle again. And he continues, but if he is through with me, then let him do what seems best to him. David doesn't deserve the throne. He's failed his men. He's failed his family. He's failed his God. His throne's being taken. His heart is painfully aware of his own weaknesses. David is broken. He's crushed here in this moment. Maybe I shouldn't be king. Maybe I've disqualified myself. Maybe it's time. Maybe God is through with me and i got nothing left to offer. In the middle of this mess, David makes this declaration, if the Lord sees fit, if the Lord sees fit, If God in all his wisdom think this is still good, then he'll bring me back to this place. But if not, if he's through with me, then let him do what seems best. David is admitting, listen, I'm too broken to know what's best anymore. I've made such a mess of things that I don't even know which end is up. I can't make this call. We're going to come back to this in a moment. Let's just wrap the story up. Verse 15 says, Meanwhile, Absalom... And all the army of Israel arrived at Jerusalem, accompanied by Ahithophel. And then we skip down to verse 20. It says, Then Absalom turned to Ahithophel, that same one, and said, What should I do next? And Ahithophel told him, Go and sleep with your father's concubines, for he has left them here to look after the palace. Then all Israel will know that you have insulted your father beyond hope of reconciliation, they will throw their support to you. I want to pause and rewind. Last week, what did Nathan, the prophet, when David, right, he's confronted with his sin, that he had had an affair and that he had murdered the husband to try and erase all of this, to try and fix it all. And God nails him. God says this, because of what you have done, I will cause your own household to rebel against you. This is what God says to him through the prophet Nathan. He says, I will give your wives to another man before your very eyes and he will go to bed with them in public view. You did it secretly, but I will make this happen to you openly in the sight of all Israel. God said, you won't die. I'm going to forgive you, but there's going to be consequences, right? Sword's not going to depart from your house. Your house is going to rebel against you. Your wives will be given to another, and it's all going to happen in public. And it all happens. And it all happens through Ahithophel, who was the grandfather of Bathsheba, and his son Absalom. It all happened from inside. Wow. Isn't that a great story? This is so awesome. David is a man after God's own heart, for sure. Last week we said it was what David did that caused such pain. And this week it's what David didn't do that caused such pain. There's not a whole lot that reflects God's heart here. I'm sitting there and going, man, man after God's own heart. This is fun. And ironically, it's a moment that David decided to do something 
by not doing something <laughs> that stands out. That's where he, he kind of did a little bit of both. See, because when Saul was king, David refused to reach for the throne, if you remember. Saul's king, David's anointed king. He's got an opportunity to take the throne, to kill Saul. And he says, you know what, I'm not going to touch the Lord's anointed. I'm not going to try and reach and fight for this throne. And now that he is king, he's once again refusing to fight for it. He recognized the throne is God's to give and it's his to take. In the middle of all this mess, David still understands that God is sovereign and he is good and he is wise. He knows enough to do what's best for him, for his son, for the nation. And here we come to what David's heart perhaps shows us about God. See, David had a heart that was surrendered to God, even in his brokenness. David had highs and lows. He had moments where he was awesome. He had moments where he was lousy. I mean, he is absolutely a terrible father. Absent. Awful. Did nothing. Think about that home. You don't want to be one of David's kids. That's like, there's n- he was just not there. But he would always rest in the understanding that the best response was to just go to God. And to surrender himself to God. Say, God, I admit I'm broken. I admit. Listen, David could have quit. Very easily here, David could have quit. Absalom, David could have said, that's it. I don't deserve it anymore. You know what? I blew it too bad and I quit. And he could have walked away. It seemed like he deserved the disgrace anyway. He could have fought... He could have postured as noble, well, I'm the Lord's anointed. I didn't fight for Saul's kingdom. Absalom shouldn't fight me. I'm going to fight him to defend what God has given me. He could have held the line there and he could have presented it as being a noble effort. But instead, he surrendered the outcome, regardless of what it would be, into the hands of God. He said, God, if you want me on that throne, you're going to have to bring me back. If my season is over, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to surrender the outcomes of my life to you. Because in that moment, David understood he was a jumbled mess of stuff. So much of what happens in life for us, some of it is our own doing. We get ourselves in messes. Some of it, though, happens to us. It's complicated. Perhaps you're here today and you feel like David. You feel like you've made a mess of things. You don't deserve anything. You've blown it. If anything, you deserve the pain and the suffering. Maybe it's not so much what you've done, but what you haven't done. You live with regret and shame and guilt. There are things you've left unsaid, opportunities you've missed. And maybe you're sitting here today wondering if your time is over. If your ship has sailed, you've had your chance, and you don't even dare ask God for anything anymore. Maybe God's done with you. Maybe he'll, he'll let you live and that's good enough. Uh, God, you give me forgiveness and I'm good enough, but, but I, I'm, I'm over. I'm washed up. You're content to know that He forgives you. The truth is, we've all blown it. We all fall short and none of us deserve anything. The, the reality is, sometimes we feel like David. But sometimes we feel like Absalom. Because again, you could sit there and point your finger. Absalom, 
you killed your brother. Yeah, but my brother, he did this to my sister. Yeah, but that brother, he was failed by his father. Yeah, but do you know what happened to his father? See, we're all kind of somewhere on this continuum of, man, I really blew it, but people have failed me too. And who do we blame for it all? In the middle of it, what should I be pursuing and what should I be letting go of? And it just gets complicated. And we're a mess. And you're sitting there trying to figure out, okay, God, how do I even pray today? What do I ask for, God? Do I ask for blessing in my life? Because I don't deserve blessing. Because I know how much I've blown it. But also, I kind of feel like I deserve it because of all the garbage that's been done to me. And we live in this tension of, man, I deserve nothing, but I really wish I had something because it's not fair and it's just complicated. So what do we do when we don't know how to respond in this moment. And I think that's where David just sort of shines through for us. It's very simple. Just surrender it. It's a surrendered heart. Say, God, I... David wants to be king. You can read. He wants to continue to be king. He's, he's still trying to think. He's sending people back trying to say, hey, go give Absalom bad advice. Right? Go give him bad... He's trying to maneuver... David is... But he said, listen, God, at the end of the day... I'm too much of a mess to understand what's good for me. I'm just going to come with open hands, God. And here's my kingdom. And if you want to take it, you take it. If you want to give it back, you can give it back. God, you decide. You decide. Can I encourage you today? Believe it or not, God put David back on the throne. Absalom is... Unsuccessful in his attempt. And David reclaims the throne. And I think his surrendered heart had everything to do with it. So I think if David had tried to fight for that throne, he never reclaims it. Had David picked up a sword and said, I'm going to fight Absalom here, he never reclaims it. If David had said, you know, I just quit. I, I just, I'm not even going to try, God, whatever. I'm tired of this. You know, it's been just, just too hard. I just quit. David doesn't come back to the throne. The only way forward into what God has for us is to say, God, whether I want it or not, I just trust you to put things in my hands. And I'm not going to clutch it or cling to it. This is willingness to let it go. That opened the door for God to move him forward. And if God doesn't give up on David, he's not going to give up on us. Listen, some of you feel like you've been lousy parents, you've been lousy spouses. You've been terrible at relationships. You've ruined all this stuff. You don't even know what to ask for. And you're sitting there going, God, I don't even know if I should be praying for anything, any, anything more. I'm just happy that I'm not dead yet. Surrender that heart to God and say, God, I'm going to surrender my broken heart to you. Because when you yield to God and trust Him, it's amazing what God can give back to you. Surrendering doesn't guarantee God makes all our pain go away. And He may not put you back on the throne. He might be done with you there. But we can trust that whatever He does put in our hands next will be the absolute best for us. So will you let it go? Will you let it go? So today, I'm going to invite the band to come on up. and 
The question for you, the question for you today is this. What's your throne? In your life, what's your throne? What is one thing? Would you just close your eyes? Close your eyes. Would you just think of one thing right now that you're holding on to? Perhaps it's your family. Something that you're afraid of losing. A relationship. Maybe a job. A career. Maybe it's a dream. Would you be willing to say, God, I need to stop controlling this. Try to make it work out like I want, God. I need to, I need to get my hands off of this. God, and I'm going to let it be my offering to you today. God, I'm going to, I'm going to sacrificially lay down what I so desire and trust you. And if it's good, you'll give it back to me. Perhaps in even greater measure. And if it's not good, Lord, I'll trust you enough to put something better in my hands. But either way, God, I want to surrender myself to you and yield to your sovereignty. If you see fit, God, you'll bring us back. But if not, God, who are we to fight against you? So today, I want to pray and give you an opportunity to respond here and now. There's no better time than the present to respond to what God is is stirring inside of us, to let God transform us. Let this be a day of surrender. So whatever that thing is right now, I just want to encourage you right now. Just lay it down before God. Whatever that thing is, whatever your throne is, whatever is something that you're holding on to, that you're afraid of letting go, Would you make that an offering? Would you lay it down? God, we trust in you. God, we trust you. You're good. You will never leave us. Lord, you'll never leave us. You never abandon us. You're the Father who's always been present. God, I pray for everybody in this room right now. Lord, help our hearts to be surrendered to you. Let us not hold on to things that we have no business controlling. But let this day be, be a day of surrender to you. Perhaps we need to give ourselves to you, God, all completely. Our future. Say, God, whatever happens, I'm willing to follow you. Perhaps that's you today. You've never actually made a commitment to follow Jesus. Maybe you've heard about faith and you're interested in the Bible and you read things about God, but you've never actually made a commitment to say, God, today, I'm going to choose to follow you, to commit my life to you. I believe that you love me, God. I believe that you've died for my sins. And God, I need to make a commitment to follow you, whatever that might be. Whatever it may cost me along the way, I've got to trust that, God, where you're leading me is better than where I've been. If that's you today and you just need to say, God, I need to follow you today. I need to make that commitment. Would you just raise your hand and say, that's me today. God, would you look around and see our hands? Anybody else?
God, look around. God, I ask you, I thank you for every hand that's been raised. Help us today to hear you, to know where you're going. Lord, you are trustworthy. You will never fail us. I thank you. I pray for everybody in the room today, Lord. I ask that you would help us to constantly lay down our hearts. And Lord, in our surrender, we will find. We'll find, we'll find that we don't lose. Lord, we never lose. Every time we trade what we're holding for what you have, we win. It's always a better trade. What we think we have, so much less than what you have for us. There's no throne worth holding on to. There's nothing worth clinging to in this life. You've always got greater for us. Let us be quick to lay down what's in our hands so that our hands can be open to receive the better that you have. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our church or if you'd like to connect with us online, just visit wearelifetree.com.